everybody kings of the podcast episode 149 dennis bernstein i want to jump right into it hopefully people have already seen the headline or they have seen the graphic this is a very special edition of the program our guest coming up in the second period is going to be none other than former king's general manager and vice president president whatever he was he had all kinds of titles but the bottom line was dean lombardi dino is joining us in the second period and i say db what do you have to say about that well it's a great get by you. Uh, persistence is the key word in, in obtaining Dean for this podcast. And I do want to say as an aside, John, um, the piece that you wrote on Dustin Brown at LA Kings Insider today, there's only one guy that could write that, and it was you. And I know it was from the heart, and I'm sure it was emotional to write it, but it was so well done. I hope everybody that listens to this podcast and beyond uh, gets an opportunity to read that. Well, thanks a lot, DB. Uh, that means a lot to me. Your text message to me earlier today uh, meant a lot. And, you know, anybody who's followed Mayor's Manor, uh, they've listened to this podcast. They know how special 23 is to me personally. And I know we're not supposed to care, but we do. And yep. uh, that was a tough article to write. And it's kind of funny because a lot of articles, you just write them and then you post them and you never think about them again. Uh, but there are certain articles that you're never happy with because you always want to change a word or a comma or add this. And and that is one of those articles. And there probably have only been five of them over the last 15 years that uh, my perfectionism sort of kicked in yeah, on. And, and that was one is, of them. John, so perfectionist for sure. That's it. <laughs> so I, I appreciate um, notes from everybody, including, and I didn't even tell you this yet, Dennis, including a note from the one and only Nicole Brown earlier today who oh. read the article and uh, was was quite touched by it. So I'm sure she was. Uh, I appreciate everybody who's reached out today and and um and had a word to say about it. So thank you very much. Enough about me though. More about uh, 23, and we'll be talking about him throughout the program today as well. And we'll be talking about in the third period, Dennis. I think we should talk about the Kings' upcoming schedule, which is kind of wonky, and we can talk about injuries and some other things. Maybe let's do a quick recap though. You and I shared a lot of FaceTime, as uh, Matt Green would say. We had yeah. we had some good FaceTime together. Hung out quite a bit at the all-star game uh great weekend down there in florida what were some of your takeaways from from being down in the uh fla well i, I think the first one is the picture of me you and anthony stewart in the club and uh yes. i didn't realize that you can get down in the club john i know you're a hard rocker guy and you're a punk guy but you you fit right in in our booth at the uh hard rock seminole so that was awesome the, the one thing i wish you were at that you weren't was um at the elbow room which is a really famous dive bar right on the beach in fort lauderdale about 1.30 in the morning, across the bar, there's Mark Messier and Chris Chelios, elbow to elbow, drinking beers with 
with the regular people. So that was, uh, and Elliot Friedman was there and Pat Brisson was there. So it's, uh, it was, that was a, a very funny, uh, touching night, but uh, it was great to be there and it's great to be back in LA in one piece. Yeah. So, you know, some people have asked, you know, why would you go to the all-star game? What's the big deal? Well, you know, the game itself, the skills competition, it's fun to a certain extent, but those are, th those events are really made for the local market and or made for TV and or made for the casual fan that they're trying to draw into the game. Um, you and I both like these festivities, just like the outdoor games, the awards, the you know, whatever it is. We like these NHL events because it gives us an opportunity to reconnect and spend time and hang out with some of the folks that we don't get to see very often. Right. We're not in right. Toronto as the hub of hockey. Um, so it gives us a great opportunity. And I will just tell you, Dennis, uh, on, a, on a personal note that uh, it, I wish I was there, too, at the elbow room that night because. Chris Chelios, he's one of my boys from way back in the day, and he probably would have given a similar um, sort of announcement or intro as Anthony Stewart did. So uh, I'll, I'll share the story if you don't mind. Please. Anthony, Anthony the, the story behind that picture is Anthony Stewart walks into the club. Well, first of all, let me just say TFP knows how to do it. I've been to several oh, yeah. of the fourth period uh, club <laughs> events and hangouts and uh, that sort of thing. So we go to the club at the Hard Rock and we have the VIP booth, boom, right to the front. And, you know, we're taken care of. Panyota set it up. It was fantastic. I'm not going to name drop all the VIPs that stopped by that night. It was a pretty yeah. impressive group, including one NHL owner. So um, there, there was there was a strong guest list that was there in our VIP booth. That, I wouldn't even say our, in your VIP booth. I was a guest. It wasn't mine. Um, but I do appreciate the hospitality. Oh, However, totally. as, as, as DJ Polly D is up there doing his thing, and he's wearing a Vegas Golden Knights jersey, of course, because he's from Vegas. And this is going down at the Hard Rock, which I was already in a bad mood about because... I wanted to stay at the Hard Rock, Dennis, but they wanted seven hundred ninety nine. Let's no. just round it. They wanted eight hundred bucks a night, and I love the Hard Rock, but I'm sorry, I don't love it for eight hundred bucks a night. As somebody said, for all the love I give them on Twitter, they should have comped me the yeah. rooms. But anyway, uh, so we were at the Hard Rock, we're at the club, and it's dark, and you know the music's going and whatever. And in walks Anthony Stewart over to the to the VIP booth, and I see this sort of going on and I don't know exactly what's going on, but he nudges uh, uh, Panyota in the ribs and he's like trying to talk to him in his ear. And then Anthony Stewart comes right up to me. He's like, I just said to Panyota, oh my God, is that the mayor? And he walks over. <laughs> so Anthony Stewart, uh, he couldn't believe that I was in a club getting down DJ, uh, getting down DB. God, I'm tongue tied yeah. here. Uh, yeah. And we got a great picture. So it's a wonderful picture that we ended up taking with Anthony Stewart and both of us. That's that's one of our greatest gifts. We put people together, John. It was great that you were there, and and I, I needed to drag you out to make sure that you were with us. But it, it's certainly uh, you're part of our our extended TFP family, so I'm glad I had a great time. And uh, yeah, we know how to have a good time. I also want to let everybody know what a good friend you are, Dennis, because um, and, and I apologize if you didn't want this shared. But Dennis, after we had been there for about an hour, Dennis like snuggles up next to me and I'm thinking he's going to tell me some great story or a little tidbit, you know, like he likes to do. And he just looks at me with all like really serious. He goes, hey, man, are you OK? And I was like, yeah, why? And he goes, I'm just checking on you. I know this isn't your scene, but I'm just checking on you. I want right. to make sure that you're okay and you're having a good time. So you were looking out for your boy, man. So I, I just wanted to publicly say thank you. That's what a good friend you were. Yeah. You uh, you were worried I was a fish out of water there, hanging yeah, out at Jay, the club. You know, with I DJ knew there was going to be no, no social D was going to be played that night. That's so right. I was just making sure you were right. okay. Exactly. Hey, but you and I did get to sing uh, a little Backstreet Boys together, oh, yeah, exactly. uh, which I know I, I know you enjoyed that. So oh, that was I good. certainly did, John. I certainly did. But no, video. I don't even know how I knew the words to that song, but it was 
Because of me, probably. Exactly. <laughs> it was, it, I'm telling you, we had a great time at the club. Enough yeah. about the club. Yes. Uh, let's move on. Uh, it, it, Florida was great. Um, people drive way too fast there. Uh, Dennis, I was doing 80 to 85 and people were zooming by me like they were on the final lap of an F1 race. Yep. Yep. It is insane Crazy. how fast they drive. Crazy. Yeah. I had no Especially idea. I had been to Tampa state, in like, like 10 through, years. Like Alligator Alley or in the middle of the state. Forget it. Like they're just, there's no, there's a speed limit on the road, but there's, there's no speed limit. Yeah, I thought I was in Germany back on the Autobahn. It was, it, I mean, serious. I'm not even joking or embellishing. Yeah, no, it it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I lived in Tampa for six months. I know what you're talking about. Going across the state, nobody cares. Okay. Uh, big trade going down in the NHL. Tarasenko, just, I'm sorry to jump topics. I'm trying to jam a bunch of stuff in here. We have Dean Lombardi waiting, a big second period coming. Uh, big trade, Tarasenko, he finally gets traded out of St. Louis. He ends up in New York. I think, Dennis, this is obviously going to have a reverberation throughout the NHL, especially when it comes to Patrick Kane, who many people right. thought was going to New York, but you've been beating on the Rangers for quite some time now saying that they needed help at wing. They have it now. Uh, they're, they're out on Patrick Kane, right? Is that, is that, are we, is that a fair statement? Oh yeah. They're out of Patrick Kane. They need help on the right wing. I said it a couple times during the week. If you had up there four right wingers before they traded for Tarasenko, they had 27 goals. It was, I think, uh, Kako had nine goals. Uh, Goudreau had nine goals. Jimmy Vesey had nine goals. And Sammy Blay, who went back in the trade, John, this is the best stat. Since he got traded to the Rangers from St. Louis, he hadn't scored a goal. So they needed help on the right side. Yeah, he had not scored a goal in his you know, whole Rangers <laughs> that's, career. That's never so good. That's never good. Probably the, guy, the second happiest guy in that trade other than Tarasenko is probably Sammy Blay. So he's going back home to St. Louis. But yeah, they're out. On, so I, I would think right now the front runner for Patrick Kane would be Dallas. At this point, that would yeah. be a really nice fit for them team. But yeah, I, I got to think that the Rangers have done. Maybe they add a depth defenseman, but with respect to upfront, it's what they needed to do. So Joe Pavelski probably immediately upon hearing the news dialed up his old boy P Kane and uh, yeah, said, but- "Hey, let's get the Team USA group back together again." Let's rock and roll uh, with the Dallas Stars. Uh, There will be more trades to come, people. The trade deadline is coming up here in the next couple of weeks, so action will be heating up. Usually, Dennis, after the one trade happens, there are some dominoes, right? Because the market has kind of been set as well, so we'll have to see what happens. We have a lot of news coming here in Los Angeles over the next couple of days related to Dustin Brown, uh, but after that, there could be some some action uh, heating up around the league. Uh, Dennis, hopscotching around with some other NHL news before we get to Dino. You know, I was a, a big fan of those scooters that I rode all around Edmonton during the World <laughs> Juniors. But uh, public service announcement, people, you need to be careful when you're riding those scooters. Rasmus Anderson is now out day to day, apparently, uh, after being hit by a vehicle while scootering to dinner in Detroit. Be yeah. careful out there, DB. Be careful in Detroit, no matter what you're doing. Number one. Number two, wear light colored clothes next time. I'm sure he was wearing some dark clothes. Try to get to dinner. Looking cool and got hit. That's I don't like those scooters. I'm I'm a I'm a four wheel guy. So uh, yes, be very very careful. So that's probably good uh, good advice for me because I don't think I own any light colors. So I need to I need to uh, steal an orange vest from a Caltrans yes. worker and I need to wear those when I'm <laughs> when I'm riding the scooters. Around. Exactly. Yes. Uh, little American League news for you as well. I know how much you love the American Hockey League. Oh, the yeah. uh, Bakersfield Condors, which are the AHL affiliate of my good buddies, the Edmonton Oilers. Um, they are, uh, they have extended their lease in Bakersfield for five more years there at uh, Mechanics Bank Arena. So five more years, you and I actually went to a Condors game together. We were at the house up we in did. Keene and then, or the ranch. Yep. And then we yep. went and saw, I think Clifford was playing, wasn't he? Yeah, I think Clifford was playing. Yep. 
Yeah, Cliffy, this was during the lockout. Cliffy was playing for the Ontario Reign back then. Hell, that was the ECHL Reign, Dennis. That wasn't even the yeah. AHL Ontario Reign. No, it wasn't. Reign. It was the ECHL. And it wasn't, wasn't your guy Colton Yellowhorn playing? Or Yellowhorn. Colton Yellowhorn. Yeah, he was playing. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was good. It's Probably scored good a goal in that game, too. Um, so there's some more news for you. Uh, Dennis, the Dustin Brown activities, they have started to heat up. Um, there was a Dustin Brown retirement dinner that went down on Wednesday night in Los Angeles. Uh, you had a lot of former uh, Kings and some of the Kings management and uh, guys like Pete Demers and Rob Blake and, you know, all those sorts of people were around as well. So the festivities have started to kick into action Saturday. Of course, the uh, the statue is going to be unveiled. Uh, Dennis, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm okay. not going to reveal what the statue is. OK, sure. But I want to tell you, people are going to love it. It's what right. I think the majority of people want it to be. Uh that's all I'm going to say. It's it, okay. it, it's a great, it's a it's a great statue. It's not a regular statue. It's it's awesome, and I think people are going to love it. And I'm going to leave it at that because I want everybody to be surprised. Sure. Uh, but I wanted to give you a little bit of Dustin Brown trivia before we get to Dean Lombardi. Dustin Brown made his NHL debut playing with the LA Kings. Do you happen to know the team that he made his debut against, Dennis? No idea. It was on October 9th against the Detroit Red Wings. I believe that Gretzky, I know Gretzky made his debut with the Kings against Detroit, but I think it was also on October 9th. I might be wrong. It might be October 8th. But the point is, uh, th those are two pivotal figures in the LA Kings history. Very different players, of course. Calm down, people. Uh, but they both made their NHL, or one was their NHL debut, one was their LA Kings debut against the Detroit Red Wings. But the reason I bring that up is that it took, how many games do you think it took Dustin Brown to score his first goal? Seven. It took him 18 games. It came against the Colorado Avalanche, which just so happened to be the former team of uh, Rob Blake. So there is a connection there. But here's the thing. The reason why 18 is important is who drafted Dustin Brown? This is the last minute of play in the Number period. 18, Dave Taylor. Dave Taylor. And whose record did Dustin Brown break to become the all-time you know leader in games played for the LA Kings? It was Dave Taylor. Shameless plug, by the way. Great article that I had uh, with Dave Taylor. You can look that up on Mayor's Manor. He talks about Brown breaking the record. And uh, always appreciate conversations with Dave Taylor. But I thought that was cool. Game 18, uh, there's a connection there between him and 18. Yeah. You know, I love that sort of numerology. So don't worry. I'm not going to list out all the players that wore 23. <laughs> but I will tell you this, Dennis. Nobody in the history of the LA Kings ever again. Don't care who you are. You are not going to wear number 23. You're done. It's going to the rafters on Saturday. Let's take a quick break, DB. We'll be back after this. We'll talk with uh, Dean Lombardi. And then in the third period, if there's any time left after talking to Dean, we'll talk about the Kings schedule and we'll talk about injuries and uh, what's ahead for LA. He said, will you defeat them? You demons and all the non-believers. The plans that they have made. Because one day I'll leave you. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. Joining us now is a guest that we've been looking to have on the program for a number of years. We've had just about everybody on the show except this guy, Dean Lombardi. Welcome to Kings of the Podcast. All right. Doing good. How are you guys? We're yeah. doing great. So, uh, it's a, that's it's an a intro pleasure. I thought you'd never do, John. So <laughs> yes, sure. it is. It is. Never it's a pleasure to have you on the program, Dean. Uh, a yes. big 
a big event happening in Los Angeles this coming Saturday. Uh, Dustin Brown will have not only his number 23 jersey retired, but he will also have a statue outside the building. When you first caught wind of this, what, what was your first thought about Brownie getting a statue outside the building? Uh, holy smoke. <laughs> I, yeah, when I when I first got there, I didn't know I was going to have a guy that was going to have a statue with Gretzky. So, um, no, that's that's an incredible honor. So, I mean, I guess that's a that's a pretty nice tradition. They're starting there, so you know, obviously, you put the superstars up, but uh, you know, to recognize a guy who's who's value to the franchise in a lot of ways through that process went beyond his play. Um, it's almost like he's in the builder category as well as player category. That, you know, that's a, he's worthy of that on. Dean, take us back to 2008 when you first decided to put the captaincy on him. I'm just sort of thinking about your tenure there. You, you had your two guys in place. You had Fuda in place. You had Yanetti. You had your crew. You've been there for a couple of years. And you talked really passionately at the time about you wanted somebody that you could, you know, put the tattoo on their ass as you put it. I think that was the exact quote and you were going to build this culture. How did you go about picking Dustin Brown among all of the players? How was he the guy? There weren't a lot of choices. (laughs) 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 That's not taking anything away, but, um, you know, somebody asked me about, you know, what Dustin meant to me. Um, I don't know, last week on something else. And I thought about it. and You know, you can come up with the uh, the usual stuff, which it, it was well-deserved, don't get me wrong. But as a general manager who basically had to build it from scratch, it's imperative that you have those players who are on the ground floor have to completely buy in because they're not only playing there in their own, which like a coach, same thing, but your players, your good players go through that. So when we started the process, he, he, he was the only player that was an NHL player. When I got there that went through the whole process, the only one. Uh, so of all the players that, I had inherited from the first day I got there. Uh, he went through the whole process as 22 new players came in. But I remember having discussions with him that he had to believe in me. Because when you have a good young player like that, you see it all the time that we were, you know, the whole thing had to be rebuilt. He didn't have a lot of allies in his age group. You know, the other only other one was Mike Camilleri, and I felt we had to move on from that. So you had to make sure he was on board with the process. And you don't see, and so you say, well, that makes sense. No, no. You see a lot of franchises where, you know, you might have a really good young player, and he's talking, the agent's calling, well, I got to get out of here. We got to get some stars in here and all this stuff because, you know, I, uh, I want to win. I want to win now. But throughout the process, I'm not saying he was a manager per se, but you had to call him up once in a while, and it was a trust factor. Look, I got to trust you, Brownie, to go out there and play your tail off every night and set an example for every player I bring in here. You got to trust me that I'm going to go out and put the players that are around you and are going to allow you to win someday. 
And so it was almost a partnership. You know, it wasn't your Mickey Mantle partnership per se, but um, he was part of the process, not only on the ice, but his willingness to believe in our process in building it was critical. Because if he wasn't on board and was selfish or, you know, I, I, I got to have a star to play with so I can put up 40 goals, make no mistake, that's usually the norm nowadays. But he was never like that. And so I think that's what makes him unique. You can say that about a lot of players, you know, played, you know, I had to do a thing for Patrick Marlowe last week. They came up and did a, you know, an interview like this for Patty Marlowe. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things you can say about those players that usually cuts across the board. But when I look at Dustin, that's what I think truly makes him unique that I think people don't understand unless you're, you go through that process. You don't have a guy of that nature who's on board with what management's doing and he's not there. What's that nut doing upstairs? No, he's, he's believing in him. Um, you know, that's special. And that don't happen a lot. So give, Darren Wright, he deserves that statue because he gives, he's as much a builder as he is a player. You know, Mayor, it was, I think, three minutes in before Dean made his first New York Yankees reference. So thank I'm you keeping track. Me. I'm keeping track. Okay, we're keeping track. Great. Well, you Dean, know the old story about Mantles, what they say, what, what, what was that one? Where, what did you say today, Mick, if you met Orange? He says, well, how's it going, partner? <laughs> <laughs> so, Dean, you mentioned because you – go through the, the process of selecting Dustin, but, but there's this elusive word that's hard to find. There's all kinds of different captains in this league and in sports. Dean, what's leadership to you? What is, how did Dustin demonstrate leadership after he, you put the C on his sweater? Well, you know what I love? I mean, it's kind of funny. We had our reunion, and, you know, you really appreciate the same old story. You don't probably don't appreciate those boys as much as uh, – you know, when you're away from them and realize how special they were. Um, that group, it's kind of funny. I, I'm not, the, I have the, the, we had a, a strong circle of identity. Our leadership was collective. You know, certainly um, Brownie wore the sea, but it's kind of interesting if you really looked at it, um, you know, the traditional way a shrink might look at it, but it's common sense. There's a circle of identity that goes into uh, the chemistry of your team. And you have to, and you can never, I don't think you can even do it with one guy. You can maybe have a Joe Montana or a Derek Jeter or whatever, but even that Jeter needed four or five guys around them, right? Posada and, and those guys that pet it. So, and the same thing with the 49ers with Ronnie Lott. So it's, it's, it's very hard. I don't think you can do it with one guy, whether Jonathan Taves or uh, take your great leaders. Even Bobby Clark will tell you who's, you know, like my mentor and idol. And, you know, I'm here with him now, not in this room, but um, I'm constantly learning about leadership from him. He'll even tell you that he, he, as good as he was, he had to have really good lieutenants. Right. So, and then usually what happens is, Dustin's form of leadership was different from the guys that were in his core. And I, I would consider, I've always said this, one of the most important deals I ever made was bringing in Stolen Green. And everybody goes, oh, wait a minute, you've got Gabrick and uh, Jeff no Carter question. and all this stuff. Yeah, okay, important. But the foundation and the attitude started to get laid when those two joined Brown. And what happens there also is when, and so the biggest thing they all had in common 
was they cared about the right thing. You know, you put those three in the room and it was all about winning. Got it. And again, oh, whoa, says, well, no, it ain't normal. Sorry. There, you know, that was a special, special. And then it grew from there. But Brownie's method and what was unique about it is all three of them had a different dimension of leadership. Okay. You know, you know, there's different types of leaders. You know, Alexander the Great is in one direction, Caesar's this, you know, Patton's another. But even then, the, it, it, to say you can do it in one person, particularly you're dealing with 22 athletes in a lot of ways, you know, had it pretty easy growing up and stuff. You usually need a, a group of at least three or four. And then it springs out from there. You drag guys in. So it was kind of like, I, that's what I would say. See, Brownie's form of leadership, he wasn't a big talker, obviously. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the other thing, though, but he grew also. And that was the other fun part about a lot of these kids that came through our system. They not only grew as athletes, they grew as men. And um, Brownie would have been a great example. You could get two words out of him when he first started coming to my office. Right. You knew he was thinking, but he wasn't certainly wasn't very confident in terms of talking. He was actually kind of shy. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, and then you know, I'd call him up and we'd talk. Okay, you know, time to open up. If, if there's little things that need to be taken care of, stop bitching about it and go take care of it. These are things that management and coaches shouldn't have to do. Right. There's so many things that go on when you got a group of 22 guys. You're trying to get them all on the same page and. It's it, it you make you make a big thing out of a little thing so you never have the big thing and he had to learn that he had to learn to open his mouth and start you know confronting people if it needed to be done and um and he grew like i said you can get two words out of him and see so, you know i had an expression that i can't say on the air as far as his vocal skills when he was really young but you saw him grow where then oh ooh, you didn't have to take tell him to take care of it anymore Mm-hmm. But he had but him and that that group there. They were all kind of different, right? You guys knew Greener mm-hmm. and Stoley and Brownie. So if you looked at them, they were all leaders, but they were all a little different, right? They had it all covered. And um, no, they, they're a great group. And the, the the circle that grew out of that, holy smoke, I ended up with like seven or eight leaders for crying out loud. They're winners. That's why they're winners. They're not players. They're winners. Dean, when you look back on this, was there a little bit of luck involved in, in the green and the store? I know we're here to talk about Brownie, but just focusing on that that three pronged or three stooled leadership approach, because I think you're right. All three of them were different. Yeah, no but was there a little bit of luck there? Or was it really intentional? When did you target those two players or did you did you target one of those two players and you got lucky with the other one in terms of leadership? Can you just talk about acquiring them and, and follow up on what you were saying there about the three of them being different leaders? Oh, I, I think it was known, like I said, we had to start from, um, you had to sift through what you had. And like I said, Brownie's the only one that made it through the whole process. Um, you know, I, I had great people around me. I, I don't care. You, there's no such thing as, no GM's having any success without top lieutenants, just like, um, just like in the locker room or whatever you want to talk about. But uh, the one thing that was very clear, though, you know, when it was, you know, Terry Murray, when we started the process and, you know, I all know about Hexy and, you know, I brought a lot of ex flyers with me. We were all on the same page. So I'd say that, no, it's not luck. You always got to be luck. You can say Gabra's luck, Carter's luck, Justin Williams is luck. The question is, did you identify what you were looking for and pursue it? And 
and stay on it. The thing that the misnomer that so much happens in our in to the outsider is oftentimes the deal you make that fits might take a year. You know, it, this isn't trading baseball cards. You listen to sports talk radio. It's like, oh, let's do this, that. You know, Jeff Carter was discussions for a year. Gabrick was over eight months. Um, but when we got there in the foundation stage, and here comes Hexy and Fuda and all these guys I had hired, it was very clear what we needed to do. We were not going to fall into this trap of bringing in a freaking big name to sell tickets and end up with the same old crap of 500 team that ain't going anywhere. And um, so it, it was very clear we wanted, I guess you could call them foundational players that would have been secondary core guys, maybe would be the term you knew used in the building phase, but they better have character and play the game the right way. Because until we put that in place, we're not winning anything. Uh, that matters. You know, you can win a playoff round or whatever. But um, so, yeah, I guess you could say it's luck. But I, it was kind of our first meetings when we got the personnel and you got your pro scouts in there. What are we looking for the priority? Take these big fancy names off the board. It were, It's the foundational player. So we had a list of guys that had that type of MO, character, winners, team guys, um, and were playoff-type players, even though we knew we were a long way from making the playoffs. Now, we luck out in the sense that, yeah, Green and Stoll type would have been at the top of the list, uh, but it was very clear that if it wasn't them, we were going to wait and we weren't going to get sucked in to just grabbing talent if it didn't fit the identity we wanted. And the other thing I could talk about luck, I always remember when I fell in love with Jared Stoll, I was scouting for the Flyers, and I always tell this to my scouts, too, about never leaving the game early. Unacceptable. That's your classroom, and you're not getting out until the final whistle. And I think you guys see it sometimes where scouts pull out early. Oh, yeah. And so I remember uh, I'm in Edmonton. He's in the minors, and – his team's getting blown out. So what you look for, and, and you know, I know it's different today, so I don't even know if you could do this today, but very clear back then. You wanted to see who got pissed off. So you're, he And they, they had a decent team there in the end. They were in the minors. It was the, the minor league team. Was I forget who they were playing. Jared was one of the better players on that team, and I forget the score. It was like 6 nothing. So it's 6 nothing. The game's over. All the scouts clear out with like seven because the game's over. But yeah, there's nothing to play for, but I'm sitting here. So I want to see who gets pissed off. <laughs> so I think there's like a minute left and you could just see like, you know, you guys probably saw it in Jared at times. He, uh, he was so intense. There were times he'd go a little overboard, and, you know, that stick would come up and everything. I don't think it was intentional. He's just so wired. And there's about a minute left. And he goes out and looks for it, and he's just mad as hell, and he, he grabs the guy, <laughs> and, there, and there he is, the center right fighting this guy, and it was all frustration of being pissed off and losing. And I remember walking out, I said that was way worse, but more valuable than watching him stick handle and score a goal because yeah. it fits the description. 
description. Don't give me that guy who likes to win. They're a dime a dozen. Give me the guy that hates to lose. Kid hates to lose. So when he came up, I remember telling Hexie, I go, oh, I love this kid. You know, and Greener was a little, but I never forgot that, that everybody had left. And I said, that right there is more valuable than watching him for 20 minutes and whatever his skills were, because it showed you what he was all about. They they can talk a good game about, yeah, I want to win and crap, but that shows you that it's all about winning with him. So anyway, I got off track here, but I love that kid. (laughs) It's a great story. That's a great story. Dean, we want to, um, we talked a lot about the off ice stuff, but, but is there, and if you ask 10 people about a salient moment for Dustin Brown, you probably get 10 answers. I think me and John have different answers. My, my moment is his hit on Henry Cassadine in Vancouver that, that really announced this team was, was a, a serious team in, in oh, the postseason. Is, is there oh, one for I you? Didn't hear, I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I didn't hear your, your, your pick was what? Uh, was the hit on Sedin in the Vancouver series. Is there one for you? Well, there was one moment when I could see he was clearly growing up as far as a personality, but on the ice, there were so many of them. I mean, I see, here's the problem. I, it's not, you can say there's end moments, um, but when you're building like it was built, there's so many critical moments along the way. I don't think it's fair to pick one. Mm-hmm. I really don't. It, it's no different than your team. And when you come from the bottom and you work your way up, that is not, that means you've had issues the whole time on and off the ice that were dealt with. And they were all critical because if it's not dealt with, you can't build up to the next one. So yeah, you might look at the end result. Uh, like you're talking, I remember what you're talking about, Vancouver, no question. But I'm thinking this other situation, I forget where it was, was it in center ice? Um, and I think Hexy, um, actually, I forget what it was. And this is the beauty, again, of having really good people around you. And talk about a winner, everybody knows what Hexy stood for. Um, I remember he went down there and told me, in the, like, Brownie, that's a huge step. And it was a little thing. I guarantee you guys didn't see it. I didn't see it. Hmm. Uh, I'm probably, I got, when I talk, I got to figure out what that was someday. But I, 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 to me, I'm not picking one. Because I know the process that um, in year one and two, there were critical moments as far as getting to where he's turning the corner or just important as the final moment. Um. And I can say the same thing about him off the ice. Off the ice, I saw growth. The point when he finally gave me some business back. You know, he, uh, remember you bust, I bust choppers at these kids and everything else once you get to know them. And finally, one day, he gave it right back to me. I said, huh, good. Good. a boy. a boy. We've come a long way. Now you're giving it to the GM. Good boy. Now you can leave. So. <laughs> okay. I, I want your reaction to another moment then that we all know about in 2012 with all the speculation about, and maybe just speculation about him being traded that game against Chicago. When, when they came to a head, he goes on the ice and gets a hat trick. And, and so I, I want to know what your feeling was at that moment in the box, watching that um, his answer to not the not the strife or anything, but just uh, all the con- conjecture around him at that point. Yeah. But here's the problem with that from, for me, 
I, I, I never can remember coming close to trading this guy. I mean, so when that whole thing was going on, I think where, what, where that was coming from was, I think this was mostly Daryl, although I knew what Daryl was doing, make no mistake, that we were pushing him mm-hmm. to, look, not good enough if we're going to win a cup. Right. That was, that, that last step, you, you say this all the time where, you know, hey, if I hadn't gone through it, I would have had no idea what it's like to win, what these guys go through to win a cup. I mean, I think we all take it for granted, but the, the challenges along the way are incredible. And we knew, or Daryl knew, at that point, our team was built. And yeah, maybe we had to add a score like we did at times at the deadline. But the point was, what we had wasn't good enough if we were going to win it all. It wasn't any more about making the playoffs and this crap. We were, we all, everybody always said that, well, you guys are seventh or eighth seed, and well, you got lucky. No, no, no. Daryl straightened that out for me. I, I was actually been in the buy in that. I remember Daryl coming in. He said, Daryl, what about, when are we going to be like Detroit where we're in the playoffs by freaking February and I can take two months off? This is classic Sutter. He, he looks at me and he goes, Dean, don't worry about it. You're built for the playoffs. The regular season is a different game. You can get away with the skill three, four. We're built for the playoffs. Just go home and relax. I got this. I mean, I'll never forget it. He was dead on that, that, that you know, they, that, that we were built for the playoffs. It's hard to play the way we, we played and played that for 82 games, but it certainly bode well for the playoffs. But um, I got off track here. What was the issue? Um, I, I get all wound up talking about some of these kids, but um, the moment of Chicago and and that particular oh, yeah, game, so, right? So I was talking about. I never, I can't ever, and I'm I'm telling you the truth. I mean, there's so many times where you're having so many discussions with GMs. You might just even throw softballs around just to get a bite or something. Right. I think I maybe have had one discussion with one team that might have been a match. I know, okay, I do know the team, and there was a player there I didn't mind. Um, but it never got the second base where you really looked at it. Deals usually go in stages. And I think there's only one time I had a semi-serious discussion about the possibility of moving them. And um, so when all that stuff was coming up with Chicago, a lot of that was coming from internally that Daryl was pressing the buttons about you got to be better. You think you're good now? Yeah, everybody thinks in LA we're on the way, but it, if we're going to win this thing, you got to freaking be better. And that was that type of push at the end, the difference between a playoff team winning a round or two and going all the way. So I think, if I remember right, that was Daryl doing a little message sending. And then kind of stuff filters out. And then now you guys start all the rumors. And um, hold on, Dean. I, wait a minute. You're going to try to blame us now? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, <laughs> Dean. I appreciate that. That's very nice of you. <laughs> anyway, but I, I actually don't. I, I but I, I, I do what you're saying. I guess you kind of set up a, a, a fake war zone, and he went out there and kicked butt. So yeah, right. pretty damn good. Good for you. <laughs> but. But you don't think that the way Sutter operates, he's genius. Don't ever fall for that farmer crap. He's a freaking genius. That, uh, that, 
I think partially was a little bit set up to get his attention. And boy, did he respond. So I don't think it's reality he was ever going to move, but there might have been a little setup there coming from within to make him wake up. And there you go. Boom. He responded. But you, you can remember, like I said, though, going through his growth as well as the growth of the team, there were a lot of moments like that. But you might say, yeah, that's a signature moment. And, um, you know, now he's got two rings. So it was worth it. So, Dean, I have a follow up question to that that I think will make a lot of sense. But before I do, I have to ask you about the book because I'm going to forget. We're going to get off on another Yankees tangent here and I'll forget to ask you about it. I've been writing since 2015 that your book is going to be coming out at some point. Can you give us a quick update? What's going on with the book now? How, how many pages are you up to? Um, well, I, you guys probably know one of the problems. I had to go back and do it again. Um, I say right in the preface, this this book is not for the masses. And if you're looking for a bubblegum book about inside scoops and, you know, how teams are built, yeah, it's part of it, no doubt about it. But um, I wanted to take an approach. Here's what happened in a real nutshell. I'm not, you know, I think you know me well enough that, you know, I graduated tops in my class in school, not because I'm smart, but I guess I, I'm deranged in a sense that I like to learn. And I started studying evolutionary psychology and sociobiology. And the more I got into it, I realized, oh, my God, so much of this applies to building a team. Because everybody writes these books on chemistry and all. It's just, there's a, there's a biological and a genetic basis for it that they're finding out through the science. And the more I got into it, I said, yeah. So even some of the things we're talking about, Dustin Brown and leadership and hierarchy and altruism. All those things, you know, the history of Darwinism and hunter-gatherer society, all those things that go into what we are as human beings show up in that small subset of society, which is a team. And well, the problem was when I sent it out the first, well, you got to make the connection between Darwin and the scientists in the locker room. And it came back to me, he said, this is, I said, this might be genius, but nobody's going to understand it. And she's got a tone. Guy says, well, it's the same for the masses. I'm not writing it for one of those. Everybody's done those books. But he says, I see where you're going with it, but you got to tone it down. I mean, not tone down the volume, but the, making, the, the, making the connection between the science and what happens when a group of 20 guys get together, what makes them brothers? You know, and there's that age-old question, too. Does chemistry breed winning or winning breed chemistry? But a lot of the things we're talking about here, so much now of that is being studied, not from these sports psychologist shrink thing, which to me is, I don't know, borders on voodoo. There's definite science out there now that vouches for some of the things I've seen. And part of the book was, this is a field study, but it's kind of retroactive because I've done the field study by being close to this. But now I'm studying the science and going back. So I just sent back the first 120 pages again for the third time, trying to tone it down. And now actually I've got it with me and it's going to another guy to say, okay, are you making the connection between the science in the locker room? Because this guy's a sports guy. He's not a, you know, he's not an editor. I said, are you seeing where this is going? So one guy gave it to a coach. He goes, wow, you're off the charts. You're dead on. He said, this is unbelievable. Another guy go, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> 
But that's what I say. I say right in the front end, this book is not for the masses, but too bad. So everybody's done those. We'll see. It's going to take a while. It's taken long. I love the challenge. So it's, uh, I got a lot of respect now for writers, how difficult it is. And, uh, but it keeps the mind sharp too. I mean, that's the big thing. I think you get older and we get sloppy and lazy. Um, but, and I'm, like I said, I'm one of those guys might be a little strange, but I love to learn. So. Well, Dean, anyway, I'm looking so- for, I'm looking forward to reading the book. So maybe I'm not from the masses or not, but I'm looking forward to it. Even if I don't understand <laughs> half of it, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it, but let, let's come back to what you were talking about right before that. So thank you for the update on the book. In December of 2015, I wrote an article saying that at the end of that season, Dustin Brown was the, the captaincy was going to be removed from Dustin Brown and it would be transferred to Andre Kopitar. I remember you probably don't remember, but I remember you giving me the stink eye about a week after that article came out. Here's what I'm wondering. Take us behind the curtain. What was the thought process? You just waxed on poetically about Dustin Brown and leadership and what he meant to the team and all of that stuff. Take us back to that moment. Why take the captaincy off of him? Why not let him finish his career wearing the C? Uh, yeah, I got answers that, that, uh, there too. I would say I I think the way I look at it, you know, if you do the Ron Wolf thing, and uh, you know, if Ron Wolf said a long time ago, if you're right fifty percent of the time, you're going to the Hall of Fame as a general manager. Um, I could have handled the process better, no doubt about it. It's a, I didn't, uh, you know, it happened with Thornton up the road and that didn't go well. Um, I'm not sure. And yeah, it's kind of funny too. We are talking about the book. Part of this, if I had done my sociobiology studies, I might not have even attempted it because it show they always talk about the science of the monkeys that, uh, <laughs> whenever there's a hierarchy in place, the last thing a guy will want to do is give up leadership. So, um, so was it a mistake, Dean? Um, the process was, I am not convinced because here's the thing. I'm going to the other side of the equation, just like he had to grow. I felt it was time for Kopitar to take another step. Um, so it was a double edged sword on the one hand, um, to put the process aside that I, I didn't do a good job at that at all. The only problem is now I'm beginning to wonder why wonder whether it was even possible, but the motive wasn't so much um, saying, well, you're done being the leader. It was more that it was almost like in my mind, it's somebody else's turn, mm-hmm. which I didn't have a problem um, in terms of, I don't want to use the word sharing, but I'd seen the growth in Kopitar and he was our, you know, one of our best players, but we also felt that there needed to be another level in him to start carrying his team more. And part of that was taking the reins as leadership. So it wasn't so much the idea that you're um, disappointed in Dustin or he, he doesn't have it anymore. It was more, the idea that this young player who's grown from just a player and Kopi had to go through it too. Like a lot of European players that, you know, he was a hell of a player. He was out of shape. 
He just went out and played because he was a great talent. And then you saw him become a winner. Now the next step for him was, okay, now learn to lead. And so what I, I don't have a problem with that. I think he needed to do that, and I think it was good for the franchise. It was more like it's his turn. Could there be a passing at Atlanta? Like, look, he's clearly one of our best players. He's in the prime of his career. He's shown that he can play in big games. This wasn't a guy who just put up numbers and never won anything. So let's see if he can lead. But you have the other side of the coin, how deflating it is or how it's going to be interpreted. And it's a, it's a blow to a guy who had already got it done. So I, I debate that all the time. All I know is I could have done better on the process. But I'm not convinced that it wasn't wrong to make Kopitar take another step that uh, to say, okay, you're a captain for 10 years. Let somebody else have a shot at it now. I'm not so sure that's totally wrong. Um, but it's hard on the ego and everything else. So um, that's 50-50 with me. Process, no, get an app. Would I do it? Um, I don't know. I'm still think that it wasn't bad from that perspective. So it's 50, 50 great for Kopitar at the time, bad for Dustin. I'm curious, have you, and we'll move on from this topic, but have you ever addressed it with him down the road? Not in the moment, in the, in the moment, you know, that June, that May, whatever it was, it was too raw. It was too fresh. Right. But years later, yeah. Have you discussed it with Dustin since then? And, and and do you think that you've tried to heal that wound for him at all? Nah, because he came up, uh, he called me when he was going to retire. He's got a great story about this. Um, oh boy, did they give it to me at the reunion. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, they, they, uh, one thing is when you're in a leadership role, boy, those boys could give it back pretty good. So this is a true story. Um, I mean, the one thing about the reunion, right? I, that's the like thing I, I want to someday. You're probably right. Uh, Mike Richards, I would like to sit down again with. Uh, but unfortunately, that's one thing about the reunions. It's, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I wish I could just be at the ranch and just the boys, you know, and it's kind of like you can have those talks. It's difficult. So in another setting but i think i think we healed the room by my idiocy so <laughs> he, he, i get a text as i've i've known these flyer guys for um you know my first tour duty here was awesome you know i always say that i knew how to build a team before i went to philly but when i left philly i knew how to build a winner i mean they were mr schneider and bob clark were just incredibly you know incredible uh, as far as it's all about winning and team, blah, blah, blah. So I got close to a lot of guys I worked with, the former Flyer. You know, I was the only guy who ever worked for him that wasn't even play for him. So they called me their token, whatever. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, so there was guys like Dave Brown, Al Hill, uh, Fitzy, just uh, all old Flyers. So now I come back and they're starting to get a little older. And Brownie, uh, I think you guys know Dave Brown, one of the toughest guys to ever played. Oh, Talk yeah. about typical. He'd been scouting for years. And, you know, our team's been stuck in the mud here for a while. And it's it's, it's really starting to tick some people off, particularly the former Flyers. So. And, and he starts, we're all starting to get older. So I get a text 
I'm at my ranch in Idaho. Actually, it was cattle season. <laughs> I got a text. Says, Dean, uh, I just want you to know that uh, uh, I'm thinking of retiring. Thanks for all your help. You really pushed me uh, to be better and everything else. And it's signed Brownie. So I'm thinking it's Dave Brown. <laughs> so <laughs> I call. So I call and I'm I'm like no I'm like so I'm calling Brownie the, the Dave Brown I'm flipping out because I'm like you can't I'm, I'm giving the big you can't quit Brownie you can't you know I'm, we're all wired up here you can't go out like this we got to get this straightened out I'm all set to go I can't get a hold of him. can't get a hold of him so I call the other guys that are close to him that you know they're scouts Fitzy and uh, Al Hill I go what the I'm going what the hell's going on with Brownie I was listening mad with you guys you can't let him and they're going, and they're going, we never heard anything about that. So, <laughs> so, uh, um, and so they start calling, and one guy was in Europe, and they're all trying to get a hold of Brownie to figure out why he's retiring. <laughs> so, finally, finally, I'm calling the number that was on, I, I'm calling, and finally I get a call, and it's Dustin Brown. And I'm <laughs> And, and, and he starts out the call, Dean, it's Brownie. And I go right into a whole speech of fire. <laughs> so, that son of a B Brownie lets me go. So I'm all wired up. Now, you can't fire Brownie. You're a flyer. We're not losers. We're going on and on. And finished, and it's dead silent. <laughs> all of a sudden, he goes, Dean, it's Dustin Brown and I go. Oh my God. So they told me, I go, oh my God. I got a call. All my, the South back, boy, it was Dustin Brown. So it's like, way to go, Dean. You know, like, so it's just, but, uh, so then they told, Brownie told the story at the reunion because all the boys were there because I guess they were in Vancouver. And he said he went up there, they were stretching in the hotel room, and he goes up to Cope Tower, he goes, you're not going to believe what he did now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, oh, man, he told the story with all the boys standing around there, and holy smoke, <laughs> they just feel day with that one. That is a classic game. It's Dustin Brown. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that was one way when we have to go totally break the ice on the captain ticket. You got back at me, Brown. You just set me up. I'm <laughs> there you go. So the, yeah, the, great anyway. thing, the, the great thing about going back to 2012 in game six, it's six, one greener gets a goal. And, and there's that like five minute period where, you know, it's over, you know, it won and you know, the cup's going to come out and you know, Dustin's going to raise it. Like in, in those minutes before the final horn, like, what emotions are you going through? I, I think the first one's disbelief. I, I know. I can't describe it. And I got a, I got a Freudian theory on this whole thing that will show up at the end because it's not based on the science, but it's um, – I take on Sigmund Freud and civilization is discontent. And he talks about how the inability of humans to truly – um, bond together and goes through the whole thing. There's a, but I remember writing a note in the thing that I've experienced it and Freud didn't. And that is 
true happiness is being truly happy for someone else. So if I had to define that, and I experienced it, but it's also a sense of you, you're not, I don't know if it's irrational or what, but that period of going down the elevator, or at first you got the expectation, you're like, I can't believe this is happening, because you still can't, even in game six, and you got a chance, you're still not believing that you might actually be part of something like this. Um, so as the clock's going down, you're still like, I don't think it really hits. And then, uh, but when you're on the ice, forget it. Um, there's something, and what, what happens when, when those guys are all hugging each other? Um, it, I, it, 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 to me, that's it. it. The reason all all the ego and everything goes out the window for that those moments that you've gone through hell, the price they pay, they are truly at that time teammates. And the, to me, it's because they're honestly happy for each other. That don't happen often in life. You can talk a good game when somebody else has good luck or gets a big contract, but don't give me that deep down. There's always that, you know, whatever you want to call egoism in the, in the human, uh, the mind or whatever. But at that moment, you are truly brothers. It don't last long. As soon as that, you know, the, the who told me, uh, was it Wolf or um, Walsh? As soon as that door opens, when it's all over, the ego starts coming back. So that's why the second cup, I stayed in the room until dark. Because once I knew that door opened, it's over. But those moments that after that are those moments when you are truly happy. They are truly brothers. And that don't happen often in life. The only thing that's close maybe is when somebody has their firstborn. And that's where I got Freud beat. And um, <laughs> so when you ask about that, that moment, you almost forget it. All you know is you're oblivious to it. And that's before the booze starts. You know, once the booze starts, forget it. But, you know. <laughs> But, but but that's uh you know just think it uh um you can take that ring and the trophies and the parade and all that stuff big deal I'll take that moment that whatever it was 15 20 minutes of truly being together with those players that's priceless the ring I can sell I can't sell that so is, is the ring for sale Dean I just need to know that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I want to put it on that Pawn Stars thing and see what I can go. <laughs> of course, of course, uh, Dean, you've uh, you've been first of all, thank you so much for being so honest and forthcoming. It's one of the great things about talking to you. Uh, we would be remiss if if we didn't talk a little bit about regrets as well. You you opened up and talked about that time period of taking the C off of Brownie. You've talked about the peaks of winning the cups. When you look back at your time in Los Angeles. What's that one regret? What's that one thing that's still nagging at you? Whether it's the Richards contract, it's making a trade, you know, uh, Chernak going to Tampa. What What is that moment that just nags away at you still to this day? Uh, that No, I, you can look. That, see, those are manifestations um, of, okay, I, you, know, I, you know, I talked about this in the last thing. Um, I'd say two things that, uh, like I think I said that we're after the first cup, 
remember I told you I met with uh, John McVeigh, the 49ers? Mm-hmm. And um, I think I told you guys that story where he said, Dean, it, what you're doing, building, you know, I sucked the 49ers for everything they had about culture and everything at the time. I'll never figure out. He says, once you win, everything changes. Um, he said, you're not going to understand it. I could sit here till I'm blue in the face until you go through it. And, you know, if you remember, the 49ers almost blew up um, after their first Super Bowl. And I'll never forget it. And he said, everything changes. Your players, your coaches, your secretary. And you're going to have to manage it. But I can't tell you. I can't explain it to you. And so then we got through. We got the second cup. And to me, it's not that I got sloppy. I got tired. Um, it, was, it wasn't an easy place to work in, um, in L.A. Um, and I think I just got, I got tired and sloppy. And that's, um, I wasn't sharp. Um, the Dustin Brown thing is more a decision. But we weren't thorough in terms of some of the things that we were good at. And that's my fault. I just got, I think I just got tired and sloppy. And so then you have situations where, um, you know, like you talk about the Sakara deal, not a good deal. Uh, and you know why? Process was sloppy. We never executed a trade like that in the past. And so when you talk about regrets, yeah, that's the manifestation of it. But, you know, I got sloppy and lazy. I don't want to say lazy. I'm never lazy. I just got tired of some things and, um, and that's what happens. And then, and then I think I didn't do a good enough job of managing the changes in my players because I had a really good relationship with these kids as they were all coming through, but I didn't take McVeigh's advice to heart enough to get them, um, to understand the challenges they were facing as winners. And I should have been more on top of that. I mean, those boys, you know, I spent the whole reunion here, my wife hearing stories about them being called in my office and never knowing what hit them. Um, I didn't adjust enough to the challenges they were going through as winners. And I should have been more on top. But again, I I think I got tired in in sloppy. And so that's the other thing. So then you have what happened with going off. Then you have Jared's incident. That's on me. And um, it, it's not only, you know, a, a secure, it's a bad deal. I, yeah, Chernak comes back and bites in the ass. Well, that's not as bad But because, remember, Quick was hurt and I didn't want him, whatever. That, that can happen. But there are other situations to me that are more telling that I was getting sloppy than that. And um, like I said, that, so is, is that a regret? Yeah, because I don't like doing anything half-assed. And I was half out, but I was also tired of some things. And it, it, uh, that's the regret. It, I should have just walked away or dug in and stayed with the process, but not let things bother me and just wear me out. And that's where it is because it starts with me. And um, so that's kind of what I'd say my biggest regret. I should have sucked it up and stayed with it or walked. But don't ever do things half-assed 
and I was doing things half-assed, got sloppy, and I let my boys down. You know, some of the crap that they went through off the ice, I should have been on top of that and realized they were vulnerable. And not good. That wouldn't have happened five years prior, I can basically sure. But I regret that because they're good boys. And uh, I let them down. So that's my regret. And now I'm getting emotional here. And now it's time for you to go because that's enough. I'm starting to get emotional. Well, Dean, I will tell you this to wrap things up. You uh, you gave me a great quote one time from Don Shula. And listening to you just now reminds me of that quote, which is that a superior man blames himself and the inferior man blames other. Dean, you're a superior man. It was always great talking with you. We appreciate all the uh, baseball references. You only gave us a couple today, though. I was expecting more more Yankees Red Sox talk today. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't want to go too far and get mushy with you. I'm not going to say I, I miss you guys, but, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to go that far. But, no, no, you guys were always more than fair, you know. So, and you know what? Like I say, I don't do a lot of interviews now. Actually, I stay away from them. But when it's one from, if it's about one of my boys, I'll go to the wall with them. I got anybody wants to talk about my boys. I got the time. You want to talk about me, go somewhere else. But I end up talking about myself. But anyway, so anyway. Well, well thank you I, for I the time. All right. Okay. See ya. All right, Dean. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. There you go. Dean Lombardi. Now with the Flyers, the former general manager of the LA Kings. DB, there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to have to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about it in the third period. Right after this. back to the third period of kings of the podcast with db and the mayor third period here we go uh dennis bernstein i just wanted to publicly thank you it's been great doing kings of the podcast with you uh we no longer ever need to do we never need to do another episode again uh we have reached the peak of kotp dean lombardi nearly one hour as george costanza once said on seinfeld i am speechless i am without speech I, I, I don't I, what am I going to add to that 50 minute conversation I, there's nothing more please go ahead Dennis there were so many high points of that interview that I won't even ask you to name one because I'm probably mm. going to listen to it at least five times because yep. even though I was involved in the conversation I still missed some of the greatness that was there um, the only thing that I would say that I was a little disappointed in, I expected more uh, Yankees Red Sox references. And <laughs> yes, I mean, he yes. came out of the gate hot. I think his first answer in the opening minute, he was already talking Yankees. I thought, here yep. we go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I gave you the highs on it. That's number one. And we went to two, but it stopped at two, I guess. I guess he focused on was Dustin a drinking so much. Game, we would still be sober. Yes, we would still be sober. Absolutely. He did. So I think the focus on Dustin and I think that limited the Yankee references. Well, I also want to uh, want to share this. Uh, Dean was kind enough to uh, send over a text message immediately following. Uh, basically, of course, you know, we appreciated having him on the program. Um, and he wanted to once again reiterate, uh, which he told us uh, uh, prior to going on the air, 
that he would give us as much time as we needed. He said, and he, his quote was, I'll give you three hours. If you want to talk about one of my guys, he didn't want to talk about himself. He wanted to talk about Dustin Brown, uh, which we did for the most part. Um, But he said, uh, you know, happy to do it. He'll give us as much time as needed. (laughs) And you got to love Dean already has his hand in the pocket. He wanted to let me know that his agent is going to be reaching out. Um, He wants, he wants his cut based upon the number of listens that we get to the podcast. I can already tell you, He's in for it because Mark Yanetti holds the number one and number two uh, yes. records in terms of most listeners ever. It goes Mark Yanetti number right. one, Mark Yanetti right. number two. Right. I think Rob Blake is number three. I'd have to go back and double check. Uh, Dean Lombardi, he's, he has a he has a hill to climb there. He's going to have to get past Yank. So we'll see where the listener uh, counts come in here over the next couple of weeks. Dennis, it's been a long show. Let's work towards wrapping it up. But to do that on the last podcast that we recorded live in Florida, uh, I had mentioned then that the plan would be for Arthur Kaliev to return against yeah. Pittsburgh. Trevor Moore was close. Uh, Gabe Lavardi. Lavar- I don't know. I just made up a new name. Lardo. Gabe, <laughs> Gabe Villardi. Yeah, Villardi. Lardo. Um, Lardo. Psycho killer. Gabe Villardi and Carl Grunstrom were not quite ready to come back yet. And it, you were uh, at LA Kings practice on Thursday, and it appears that everything's falling in place from what I understand. Yeah, Artie's back on the you know the fourth line um, playing there. Uh Trevor Morris in his spot with Victor Arvidsson and uh, Deno. Now, with respect to Gabe, even though he wasn't skating with the team, and you know we, we've said he has skate, he is skating, but there was a red non-contact jersey hanging in his locker, which is, I guess, a good thing. It just means he's relatively close, so he's not quite there yet, which is a really good thing because he's been out a while, and you get worried that okay, maybe this is going to be more long term. But they're certainly on the track to, to get back. Uh, not soon, not maybe for this two-game homestand, but it, it's a good sign that they are progressing from their injuries. Yep, so Gabe and uh, Grunstrom were skating on their own, so we'll have to see when they return to practice, and it, we'll have to see exactly how long before Trevor Moore is is back in the lineup. But he is certainly getting closer, and good to see number 34 will be back uh, for Saturday against Pittsburgh. Um, yep. now, oh, by the way, Dennis, I did fail to mention this earlier. Dustin Brown's second NHL game was against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he missed it by just one game. That would have been interesting, right? If he debuted right. against Detroit, but what if he had debuted <laughs> against Pittsburgh? It's Pittsburgh. Uh, right. Would have been would have been cool. Uh, anyway, uh, the Kings have a wonky schedule here, DB. So they came out of the they played a ton of games on a weird road schedule, though. Uh, and then they had the week off and then they come back against Pittsburgh and then they have a home game. And then mm-hmm. on Monday against Buffalo, so Smurf will be in town, and then they're off for a, the rest of the week. They don't play again yeah. until Friday, Friday in yep. Anaheim and yep. then back home Saturday against the Coyotes. So another wonky week of schedule, more practice time, though, so Coach Todd McClellan yeah. must be happy, right? Yeah, well, not really. They play four games in 20 days. And what was the narrative all season coming up to the break? How much they played? Even Drew said, you know, it's really stupid the league that we were playing every other day. The first half of the season. So he didn't like the schedule. So now, and Todd said, it is a challenge to only play four games. And look, practice time, rest, I get it. But, you know, it's about rhythm. He talks about rhythm a lot. And when you're playing every other day, like they did in the first half of the season, you get in a rhythm. Now, how can you sustain this rhythm? Even if it's a great game against, let's say, Buffalo. But I, I'm not even worried about the Pittsburgh game because there's going to be motivation. It's, there's going to be some rust and stuff like that. Going from a, a Monday game to a Friday game and that's going to be a big challenge. So Todd said, yeah, it's going to be a challenge not playing a lot after playing so much in the season's first, what, 50-some-odd games. Yeah, and then immediately following that uh, that that two-game, it's not really a homestand, but they play in Anaheim on Friday, and then they play, uh, like we said, then they play Phoenix or Arizona, excuse me, 
Um, they are wearing their alternate jerseys, by the way, in that Saturday game. So if you like those Chrome Domes, that'll be on Saturday, February 18th. And then, Dennis, the point was they then go out on the road with an interesting road trip. They start in Minnesota. Now, Minnesota is usually reserved for kind of those Midwest teams, whether right. it's Dallas, St. Louis, et cetera. Right. Yeah, it's Chicago. Exactly. They start in Minnesota and then they do that swing through the tri-state area. They play the Devils, the Islanders, the Rangers, and then they end that trip in Winnipeg. So they they start in the middle, they go to the east, they come back to the middle, uh, and then they come home for the game against Montreal, Montreal on uh, Thursday, <laughs> March 2nd, right before the trade deadline. Who knows? Maybe one of those Canadians will now be in an L.A. Kings uh, jersey over on the blue line. That's uh, for Maybe. a different program, but it's a very wonky schedule, Dennis. That's my point. Yeah, two big, two brutal road trips, Sean. The last road trip was not, and you were on it. It's not easy. That you know, going to Florida, Tampa, and then up to Carolina, and then going back, going back east again, back to the Eastern Time Zone to play. The Devils are really good. It's it's going to be challenging once they get to that game against, as you say, Montreal on the second. That they'll, like, uh, we'll know. I mean, this is this is a key pivotal time, and. The race for the division is crazy. It, it's going to, and even for the top eight, but it's going to be another really interesting road trip and see if they can replicate the three, two, and one trip that they did uh, just to come before the break. Yeah, they're going to need to have uh, some good games on that trip. You know, the Minnesota game will be emotional um, just because of the connection to Kevin Fiala. Sure. And then it's always a fun time when you go to New York, right, and try to keep everybody on the straight and narrow. The Devils are great, like you said. Uh, Jack Hughes is out. He's week to week. We'll have to assume that he should be back by that point, though. Yeah. Um, you're going to see Tarasenko in a range. You would assume Tarasenko in a Rangers uniform. Mm -hmm. And then you get to go to the new building there uh, in, in on the Island uh, and play the Islanders. And, and then you come back and you play all, an always tough Winnipeg Jets team, you know, yep. kind of almost uh, a team that's built like some of those earlier Dustin Brown, LA Kings teams. They're, they're just a team that is sneaky tough to play against, mm -hmm. despite what yeah. their record might show you at different times. And and the Islanders have Bo Horvat now, so the the, the timing of the Kings isn't the greatest. They're getting they're playing all the teams to get the acquisitions, and the Devils trade for Timo Meyer. By the time they get to New Jersey, then they'll get the whole the whole gauntlet of uh, trade uh, trade acquisitions. Yeah, you'll get it. That would be the uh, the tri-state hat trick right there. All three exactly. of the teams would have new players to show off against the LA Kings. So, all right, DB, let's wrap this program up. Uh, just once again, thank you to Dean Lombardi. Thank you so right. much. It was uh, fantastic having him on, his transparency, his honesty. Uh, there are few people like him in the world of sports, Dennis, that are as open and as vulnerable as Dean. Uh, heck, mm -hmm. he even got choked up there at the end as well. So, uh what just yeah. a fantastic interview. And we thank Dean Lombardi for coming on. And as he said, talking about one of his boys. So we'll, we will uh, look forward to enjoying Saturday. It'll be emotional, yeah. I think for both of us, but it'll be a great time and an honor. Well-deserved for Dustin Brown. Any final uh, parting thoughts here on DB, any parting thoughts on DB before we, before we head out? No, you know, he, look, he, he's a friend to us. The family's a friend to us. We got to know him and it's a, it's a great tribute. And if the people outside of LA that don't get it, it it's on you. That's a great way to put it. The line is going to be long for people to uh, be taking pictures with the new statue. Be in your seats by six o'clock if you're attending. That was in the article the other day. Do not be late. League rules mandate. This thing has to start at six because they have to get it wrapped up in time to get the game uh, going. And uh, oh, and DB, by the way, we haven't done a podcast. Clifford, Muzzin, Martinez. Let's give a shout out to the LA Kings management to be able to get active players. It's one thing to get yeah. Maddie Nordstrom and 
some of these other retired guys, but to get guys that are active players today with other organizations, hurt or not, or whatever the situation is, Cliffy's flying in. Uh, You had uh, Alec Martinez is flying in, and he has a game on Sunday for the Vegas Golden Knights. Jake Muzzin's flying in. Uh, That was all in that Mayor's Manor article on what to look for. So the guest list is pretty impressive. It's going to be a fun time this weekend. That's it, everybody. Uh, Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.